Welcome to the Upstate Impact Podcast. My name is Elizabeth Weaver and I'm here with my project partner, Jordan Floyd. And today we get to the privilege of interviewing Cam Hill. Welcome, Cam. Thanks for having me. So Cam is the founder, along with his wife, Joy, of an outreach here in Greenville called Elias. And right off of their website, Elias is serving our neighbors and equipping them in their God-given potential for the good of our community. I think that's such a beautiful overview in the heart of Elias. And I know Cam pretty well. Um, I guess when your pastor starts a nonprofit and it goes so well that he has to switch to full-time nonprofit mm. outreach, you just say, amen, yeah. keep going. So Cam, I'm all the way behind this. It's been oh, awesome to watch you. it to watch it develop. And we're just so glad to have you. Yeah, yeah thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So pretty cool about this episode is that we are actually filming this episode inside of the Elias co-working space. So let's just start there, Cam. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about this space and how it came to be? Yeah, this space is really a godsend. So we started looking for a location when we realized that we needed to start doing more after-school tutoring and really develop a, a more holistic after-school program. Prior to that, we did an open gym uh, basketball night once a week, and then we did leadership development. But we wanted to serve um, some of those broader social needs uh, that students had, and a big part of that for a student is school. And so we wanted to address some of the tutoring needs that they had, mentoring needs that they had, and then um, just providing meals more often uh, throughout the week. And so we needed a, a location to do that. So we started looking throughout the neighborhood for a, an affordable place to lease. And we found this space, which um, was an old nightclub, actually. <laughs> Most people don't know okay. that. Uh, <laughs> Elias, yeah, formerly The Den, um, and it closed down. It Actually, like a really tragic history here. Someone was killed. They later um, eventually shut it down, and it was, um, I think it was like a manufacturing uh, space for a while after that, uh, but largely unused, uh-huh. and when we found it, um, the, the original... Um, building owner thought you know you guys can use this for storage or something like that like it just wasn't in great shape and we did a um, big crowdfunding um, fundraiser and raised enough money to renovate the space and turn it into an after-school center as well as co-working so the thought there was the students that we work with they're in school during the day and all of our programs are out of school activities so they're typically starting at 5 p.m. and later and um, you know there are plenty of folks who need affordable office space during the day, and so that'll be a revenue source for the organization. It's you know there's no sense in us underutilizing the space, um, and so it's worked out. So it's co-working during the day, and it's after school uh, work in the afternoons and evenings. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Yeah. So if somebody wanted to use this co-working space. How would they do that? What does it cost? Just might as well put that out there. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Thanks for the plug. Um, It's really simple. If you actually just go on our website um, and click the co-working uh, page or I guess um, tab um, in the menu bar, it'll take you to a a page that explains a little bit more information about co-working, what services we offer and everything like that. And then you can sign up online and it's just like a a monthly membership and... um, yeah, that's done all online. So you put in your credit card information there and you can cancel whenever you want. So we don't do 
um, any kind of contracts or anything like that. So you can go month to month. You can sign up. If you know you're going to be traveling and you won't utilize it as much, mm -hmm. you can cancel it that month and then pick up the next month. So Perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, it's working great for us here. So super glad. Awesome. Um, Cam, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you've come from and a little bit of the backstory into what caused this vision to be born in your heart? Yeah, that's a, a complex question. Um, I'm from the Cleveland area in Ohio, a town called Mansfield. It's south of Cleveland. And I uh, grew up there and went to school in southwest Ohio um, at Cedarville University. Mm -hmm. And I took a course um, called Urban Ministry. Okay. And that, um, that course was really, really um, instrumental in me actually coming back to the faith my freshman year of college, I walked away from the faith. Um, I thought it was because of a lot of like existential questions that I had and, um, you know, questions about whether or not I could trust the Bible, um, whether or not I believed in the resurrection of Jesus and some of these things that I thought, you know what, um, this is more philosophical or historical. And what I came to discover as I, I was reading, you know, some philosophy books and some apologetics books, and then I ended up taking this course um, in college, which was a required course for me. And in that, I got connected to a few different ministries that were serving vulnerable populations in inner city Springfield, Ohio. And um, that was almost like the Lord subversively drawing me back to himself mm -hmm. because I think he was opening my eyes to the reality that what I was actually searching for was um, a purpose in life that yes. connected. Um, and actually, I think one of the things I had recognized without knowing it was that there were a lot of um, problems in this world that were really complex and... I hadn't found a system that was created to address those things. And I think the Lord, through that urban ministry course, was showing me that the gospel is actually the avenue in the church, is the vehicle towards addressing some of these um, systemic broken issues of injustice and oppression that exist. And that was, um, yeah, that was one of the things that kind of awakened me um, to the faith and um, drew me back to the faith and ignited this fire um, that led me to want to pursue this kind of ministry. Wow. So that was, you know, a, a really, really significant part of it. And it just so happened that this girl I started dating in college had also taken the course, was also really passionate about those same kinds of things. And we both felt led to move into a lower income community and to uh, pursue more of an incarnational model of ministry where you live in a place, you become a part of that community, you listen to your community, share burdens with your community, and, um, and then begin addressing the issues alongside of your community. And so we both knew that we wanted to do that. And um, that was one of the kind of first steps that led us to Nickeltown, and then after living here for a number of years that led us to starting Elias. Wow. So, yeah, I would love for you to speak to a little more about why why Nickeltown in particular versus anywhere else in the country. What specifically drew you guys here, and how have you guys worked on, just kind of aside from the Elias side of things, how have you guys done as far as integrating yourselves into that Nickeltown community? Yeah, um, so uh, Nickeltown specifically, I actually moved to Greenville to uh, work with a church in town called Summit Church, 
and I pastored there for about eight years. I was part-time for four years, full-time for four years. When I was part-time at the church, I was working full-time with an organization in town called GOAT. stands for Great Outdoor Adventure Trips. We've been there. Yeah. Okay, awesome. We've recorded there. Yep, yep. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were working with um, a few different organizations that were in uh, the Nicoltown neighborhood. Momentum Bike Clubs was one of them, the Nicoltown Community Center, and the Phyllis Wheatley Community Center. We were taking their kids on outdoor trips. And so because of that, I was... Um, gaining some proximity to the neighborhood of getting to know some of the mm-hmm. kids from the neighborhood sometimes you're taking them home and just driving through um, we could see some of the need uh, that existed and um, that was one of the first things that I guess just put Nicoltown on our radar and um, we prayed about it for a while we actually moved into the Andover Park Apartments which um, kind of border the Nickeltown neighborhood. And we lived there for a year praying about Nickeltown um, as to whether or not the Lord, you know, was leading us to move in. And after a year living there, praying about Nickeltown, we felt the Lord was leading us into the community. And so we moved into Nickeltown, rented for a few years, and then purchased our home about three, three and a half years ago. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really been beautiful just visiting with joy there in the neighborhood and seeing the way you guys have so assimilated into the community. And, you know, the friendships that have come out of that, it really answers. It's, it's just yeah. amazing. It's yeah. been a sweet opportunity for us. We uh, we honestly love it. There's nowhere else in the world we'd rather live. Yeah. So That's that's living out your vision right there. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. So um, give me a little bit more of a breakdown of um, the Elias ministry as a whole and just what you guys are accomplishing on a day-to-day basis, who exactly you guys are serving, where a lot of those kids are are finding themselves and, and yeah, what it is that you guys continue to hope to accomplish moving forward. Yeah. So um, when we moved into the neighborhood, we started to uh, just listen, like one, meet your neighbors, become a part of the community to try and assess who has God already sent ahead of us into mm-hmm. this neighborhood, um, who's doing ministry here, what neighbors um, are already leading in this community. Uh, Because it's not just outside influences coming into the neighborhood to help them. I mean, this neighborhood has so many historically strong leaders, Um, people who were incredibly active in the civil rights movement, who, you know, organized sit-ins alongside Martin Luther King and spent the night in jail with Mm -hmm. them. Um, I mean, really, really incredible leaders who are still alive living in this neighborhood. And so we wanted to just meet the leaders that were in the community and figure out how we can come alongside them, learn from them, serve alongside them, and, and then also pray through, are there any gaps that do exist, and what would the people in this neighborhood say is needed? And so, um, and, and discover how God can use us that way. And as we began having those conversations, we were going to neighborhood association meetings, um, helping out in the community garden, and just playing a lot of pickup basketball. We didn't have any kids at the time, and so we would play pickup basketball one or two nights a week, and um, it was just a great way to get to know people. Mm-hmm. And through that, and after talking to some different community leaders, um, everyone said, you know, there are a lot of programs for uh, young kids uh, up until they're about fifth grade. And then after that, mm. there's not a ton of opportunity for them. And so we think what the neighborhood needs is organizations that are working with youth, middle and high school youth and young adults. 
And so that was that became like our, our target age demographic. Mm-hmm. And we partnered with a local community center called the Phyllis Wheatley Center. They had available court space and were willing to allow us to use that and um, draw students from the neighborhood um, to utilize their facility. And so we started with an open gym once a week on Tuesday nights. We'd play basketball. We'd do a Q&A time about Jesus, the Bible, the world, life, anything. Um, I mean, it was kind of just like, hey, this is a space for y'all. It's a safe space for y'all to ask any questions that you have that you may feel like you're not typically given space to ask. And so they would ask incredible questions, and we'd do our best to respond. And um, sometimes we would, and we told them this, like, hey, there are going to be times you ask questions, and we're going to look back at you and say, that's a great question. Let's continue to explore that together because I don't have some neat, tidy answer. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I feel like I, I'm offering that more more than not, um, where it's like, hey, I can't tie this one up. Mm-hmm. People have been asking that question for thousands of years, um, <laughs> but let's, you know, let's continue walking that one out together. Um, and then we would eat. So that that's how it started. And our goal there was you can't serve people that you don't know. And so we've got to start with relationships. We have to begin to meet middle and high school students in the neighborhood and um, that's a a particular population that's not necessarily easy to just develop relationships with especially Mm -hmm. as an adult Um, and so and especially when you're crossing cultural boundaries Um, so I'm white um, and I live in a predominantly black neighborhood and so even that becomes a a bridge that has to be made in order to develop a relationship Mm -hmm. My wife is not white, which has, I think that is helpful. Um, she's Hispanic and Asian, and um, I think that's played a part in her um, ability to develop friendships. Um, and she's also just got the personality type of somebody who wants to go and meet every yes. everyone in the world, um, which is not my personality. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's been incredibly helpful with us when we go and play pickup. She's, you know, meeting everyone and introducing me and... Um, so that really helped when we started playing basketball. It was just this opportunity to play basketball with people and then slowly over time develop friendships that were authentic and they were formed around a common interest. It's like, hey, none of us have to manufacture this. We all really like basketball. And because of that, we're in a very natural sense developing friendships and relationships. And the next thing you know, you're driving down the road one day when it's raining and you see a student that you know through basketball walking in the rain and you can give them a ride home because you know them and that friendship has just deepened ever so slightly. And um, as that continues to happen, you're able to hear about the needs that do exist um, mm-hmm. from a student's perspective. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's you know, how you can help. Um, here are some of the difficulties I'm facing in life. Here are some of the things that I'm interested in. And um, as that, you know, began to happen, we started a leadership program. Um, John Perkins wrote a book. Uh, and he's written a number of books, but he wrote one in particular on community development where he mentions that the number one thing you need to do in community development is leadership development. Mm-hmm. So he said, you know, the most influential thing in his life as a community development leader was two years um, an individual poured into him. They would meet, um, I want to say it was every day for two years, and they would read the Bible together um, and eat lunch together or something wow. like that. And it was just this intense discipleship where someone invested in him as a leader and he says that was the most significant thing um, in his life that has you know yielded so much fruit in the ministries that he's been a part of. 
And so he says the first thing you've got to do is leadership development. When you start meeting people, start investing in them as leaders so that you can reproduce yourself in the community and so that you can begin to develop these leaders who can invest back in their neighborhood. So we did that, and then it was through that that we began realizing, okay, I think we need to start addressing some of these other social needs uh, that exist, like tutoring and things like that. So we started an after-school program, and um, from there we've... uh, been able to actually purchase this building and there's a vacant space next door that we've been renovating to turn into a creative arts center so those are some of kind of the the day-to-day things that we're doing it's basketball leadership development and an after-school program that goes three days a week and uh, we're hoping to launch the creative arts center this fall Mm. so so i love i love a couple things about what you said the first one was when you guys first moved into the neighborhood you didn't want to basically just immediately go and lead from the front. You realize there had been people that had been mm. paving the way or had been been doing things all along. You weren't the first people to want to reach out to this community. So I thought it was a very humble and unassuming way to bring yourself in. And I'm sure you've thought about this or had many conversations about this, but um, you as an outsider, both not being from here, but also not looking like a lot of the people in your neighborhood, I think the assumption might be when you come in immediately is this is this is another person with a white savior complex, right, sure. that just wants to come in um, and basically fix it. Um, right. So it sounds like basketball was your means to to be able to, to break down those barriers that people might have put up to initially wanting to accept you in a way. Yeah, yeah, in time. Um, and there are, you know, there's a lot of wounds and hurt um, that people have experienced because of... Um, honestly just really negative interactions that they've had with white people Mm -hmm. Um, and so because of that guards go up and walls go up and those things don't go down overnight and you can go and you can say hey like I've got the best of intentions and no one can see your heart Um, (laughs) you know you want to be able to say here are my motivations but no one, uh, no one can see what your motivations actually are um, outside of time. Time is the thing that slowly reveals what's inside. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think over time, uh, developing those relationships and then, and honestly, like learning. I mean, there are so many things that when we spend time apart from each other, um, we, we, we stop, um, or I guess we just never really um, understand each other. It's not that we knew each other and then we stopped um, understanding one another. It's that we never really had the opportunity to know one another, and that's happened culturally. So mm-hmm. when we create this segregated environment where our lives never really intersect, then we never really understand each other, and we misunderstand each other, and we say things that hurt one another. And so there have been so many, so many times where even, like, myself like as I've moved into this community even having a non-white wife who has helped me um, tremendously grow in understanding how to um, share life with someone from a different culture even still I have said so many things that were hurtful Mm -hmm. I've um, had to repent of those things I've had to learn I mean it's this constant ongoing learning process and so that just takes time you know we don't learn overnight uh, you don't come awake to something overnight. So it's just taken a lot, a lot of time. Man, there are so many insightful, insightful thoughts that you've shared through just that download. I mean, it kind of reminds me of Jesus' ministry. <laughs> just the beauty of, you know, day-to-day interacting with people, teaching through real-life circumstances. I mean, it's just so beautiful. Mm. So obviously, this must have been a pretty 
um, big process to birth an outreach like this. Can you talk to us a little bit about just what that was like for you? Maybe a hurdle, big hurdle you had to overcome, something you learned in the process. Tell yeah, there have that. been a, a lot of hurdles. Um, I, I would say this. We never expected this to be the result. Um, mm. We didn't have a ton of ex- expectations. I okay. think it's been a ministry of dependence. It's been, okay, start with mm. basketball. We can do basketball. Let's do basketball. Mm. We're already playing basketball. Mm. We'll go buy some basketballs. I've got a full-time job. This is, I didn't have to raise you know support to pay myself. We were just playing basketball. <laughs> and we there were a bunch of other people who volunteered to come play basketball too. Um, and it was fun. And people started cooking meals. And it just was simple. And then you add one more component to it. And it's, okay, let's invest in some leaders. Well, how do we do that? I don't know. Let's invite them over to the house and cook dinner. And then we'll talk about how to lead in the way of Jesus. I can do that. Um, All right. We'll just, let's do that on a regular basis. And we'll block off that night on our calendar. And we can do that. And then it's just one more thing. And I, I think not having this, like, we didn't chart out this, um, neat tidy Mm -hmm. plan of what the ministry would look like we i think just said yes um when jesus called us to do something and then the other big thing and i would say this because i've had a number of people call and say hey you know i've got this idea i want to start this ministry um can you give me some advice on starting a ministry and in many ways i feel like the most underqualified person to answer any of those questions Mm. because this Every, everything that you see around you um, was the result of a community of people coming uh, together to do something mm-hmm. that God had called all of us to do. And I don't have uh, the capacity to build a you know, successful ministry. I don't. Um, mm-hmm. God's people have the capacity to mm-hmm. do that when the Spirit of God is at work in their midst. And that's what God has been doing. And then I would say the other uh, big piece is like, I mean, we have an incredible board um, mm. of people who are all smarter than I am <laughs> and they're gifted in different ways. Sure. And I've just, honestly, I, this is the other thing I tell people is just surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. Um, <laughs> if you can be the dumbest person in the room all the time, like you are winning. Um, <laughs> and it's not necessarily like a, the like most comfortable mm-hmm. thing because it's, it is, like one of the things that I find often is the tension mm-hmm. of leading people who are really high capacity. Um, yeah. But that's a great place to be in. Um, and so we have really, really sharp, gifted people who care about the vision of um, Elias and who are committed to it. And they're the people who shoulder the weight with you and they're the ones who get the ball rolling. Um, and so I think like I see my job as seeking the Lord, um, praying for my community, and then um, holding on to a vision that can only be accomplished by faith, and then just calling other people to that vision. Like, let's make sure that we're going to pursue something that if it's accomplished, everyone would look at it and say, only God could do that. And if you can continue to hold that in front of really, really smart, gifted people, I mean... It's, I think it's going to be a successful thing. So I don't have this like magic answer of, well, we did X and then we did no. Y and this is how you <laughs> reproduce that. It's just depend on smart people. That's the best <laughs> and answer. The and really, when you think about leadership, 
you've been able to create a vision that people wanted to follow and pursue. And that's the best kind of leader. And you're not over there saying, I got to do it all. You're saying, I need all you people. And so that's a beautiful partnership. Yeah. Yeah. How has COVID affected all of this? Mm. And what are you guys, I'm sure you had to adjust a lot. Yeah. But, um, Coronavirus is the worst. Yes. We <laughs> all hate it. the yeah. worst. There is, it's created so many catch-22s. Uh-huh. Um, in some senses, it creates these blessings. And then it also creates these, like, blessings that you can't fully utilize. <laughs> and so in, in that, yeah, it's really, really frustrating. It's difficult. Um, we've learned some things. Um so we switched to kind of a, a virtual model almost immediately when everything happened. We did our mentoring online, tutoring online. We would deliver food and groceries to you know people's homes. And um, I want to shout out to Mill Community Ministries mm-hmm. uh, for their food share boxes. Um, they have been cranking those things out, and we've been able to partner with them by getting their food share boxes and helping deliver those to some of the folks in Nickeltown. Um, and so that was initially kind of how we started doing ministry as almost a relief effort. It's like, okay, here's this, um, event that's taken place and we're going to respond with relief work, which is different than development work. Um, relief work is more handouts and it's more saying, Hey, listen, like we're bandaging up wounds. This Mm -hmm. is triage. This isn't permanent. And then eventually you have to kind of shift gears again and get back into community development work, which is more about empowering people and it's about sustainability and it's about um, developing leaders who can then um, invest back in their community and who can do that work with you. And for us, a, a big piece of shifting from relief work to community development work was asking the question, if we continue to um, do virtual everything, what's going to happen to the students that we work Mm. with? Because we just saw, you know, initially they responded well to the virtual tutoring and and mentoring and stuff like that. And then it just took a dive Mm -hmm. and depression set in. Um, you know, we had instances of students attempting suicide. Um, there's just been a lot of emotional, um, unhealthy mm. environments um, where you know students are trying to maybe do homework while taking care of siblings while feeling like there's no purpose in life because there's no social interaction they can't work they don't have structure there's just all kinds of things and it's really been a mess and so we did a um, summer camp mm-hmm. that was just we had these kind of grand plans for it at the beginning of the year and we wanted to have a lot of big events that were really casting a broad net in the community and we couldn't do any of that um and so what we've been doing is just uh, a summer camp with 10 middle school students 10 high school students um partnering with goat where they take our students on outdoor trips several days a week and um we'll do field trips we do swimming lessons at the ymca and so we're doing things that are just small, small group based um, and uh, trying to have these embodied experiences that get them out of their homes, get them away from technology yes. and in many instances into the mountains uh, where they can heal, where they can um, be invested into, where they can just like laugh and where they can engage with one another. And so that's what we've been doing this summer. And then as we're trying to read the, the writing on the wall um, as it comes to the fall and what schools are going to be doing, 
Um, if I had to guess, I would imagine students are going to be out of school um, probably three to five days a week. Um, they'll be doing virtual classes unless, you know, something drastic happened with the caseload um, when it comes to uh, COVID cases. But if COVID cases, you know, stay around where they are now, I think um, they'll, yeah, be in school uh, maybe two days a week. Other than that, probably five days virtual. Um, and so we're looking to this fall expand our programs to daytime hours. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still, we actually have a retreat as a staff team on Friday to get away and to um, kind of map out what that could look like this mm-hmm. fall. But the plan right now is to extend those to daytime hours so that we can offer, you know, tutoring, creative arts, basketball, outdoor trips um, that go beyond just that, you know, two to three hour mm-hmm. out of school time window that can hopefully provide the structure that schools were offering students wow. so that's so good yeah because I know so many are just thinking about in the harder situations the kids not being in school it can put them in a really bad place day after day after day absolutely there's no break there's no stimulation encouragement well not to mention some as I'm sure you know some of the kids in your community may not even have access to good internet or technology and they may literally need this space in order to be able to learn it all oh yeah and so it's great that you guys are stepping up to try to meet that need cool well I appreciate that um, I want to I want to go back to your personal story and um, just ask you a question you said that you walked away from the faith your freshman mm-hmm. year of college is that right yeah um, does that in any way kind of draw you or connect you with this adolescent age group now knowing that Hmm. even though you came from a different background than they did you faced some difficult decisions around that time and that was a really pivotal point in your life and is that has that been something that's always almost Mm -hmm. been something that almost inspires you to make an impact on folks that are in that stage of life yeah I I definitely think so um I I haven't spent a ton of time um analyzing that you know element of my story and and why that connects me to this age group but I would say one of the um, one of the things I'm really passionate about are uh, questions that people have around the faith. I think it is a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing to doubt. I think it's a good. I don't think it's a bad thing to doubt. Um, I think it's a good thing to question. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think a lot of people have questions, and um, some people just kind of try and push them into the back mm-hmm. of their mind mm-hmm. and unknowingly when they do that they just become a complacent person right. and they they maybe affirm certain things that they believe but they live as if they don't believe those things because they've been pushing they've questioned them and they're just not dealing with the fact that they're questioning them and so I really care for me I was at that age you know this was a little bit of high school, but it was really college when I began for the first time saying, okay, I'm an adult. I, I'm having to figure out life. Um, I need to think through what I'm going to live for. I need to think through, um, you know, what I'm going to do with my days. Why would I go to church on Sunday if I don't believe in this? Um, I'm going to, you know, think through what do I want out of relationships and parenting and this and that. And you're just asking all of these questions maybe for the first time ever. And many of those things lead you back to your faith, this thing that has shaped your life in many ways. And so for students um, who grow up in the South, especially in and around church, 
uh, faith conversations, the idea of um, the gospel maybe, many of them I think have a lot of those questions and just aren't really given space to ask it. And I think I'm really passionate about that group of, of people um, and almost trying to convince people that they should be paying more attention than they're actually um, giving the, the, the things of faith. So I don't know if it's necessarily an age. Maybe it is. Um, but I almost think it's just a population of people. Yeah. Um, I've always felt like even in pastoral ministry, um, I think there I would regularly have people um, reach out to me and just want to sit down and for lunch or breakfast and we'd sit and we'd meet and the next thing I know, we're talking about this crisis of faith that they're going through. And I don't know if it was just the Lord drawing me to them um, and it was coincidental, so to speak, um, or if it was just uh, my personality being drawn to theirs or them uh, feeling like they could open up to me about certain things because they knew my story. But I loved those conversations. So I, you know, no matter the age, I, I really have an appreciation for, I think, that group of people who are asking those kinds of questions. So it's awesome. Yeah. I'm really glad you shared all that because I think there's a lot of people that can relate to those questions and some of the confusion um, through their own faith journey. So glad you got to share all that. Um, I don't want to take up too much more time. Tell me about the mural yeah. that is going to be, that's in the works because uh-huh. I think a lot of people will be excited about it. So um, we're working with uh, an incredible um, artist and muralist. Uh, her name's Lacey Hennessy, and she reached out to us um, to commission a, a, a piece. And um, she said, you know, hey, I, I would love to fundraise for this and um, do it at no cost to your organization. And I want it to be dedicated to black lives and to really um, emphasize, like, black beauty and dignity and um i would love to to you know partner with y'all as an organization that's in a predominantly black neighborhood and a historically black neighborhood and so we've been reaching out to the community we've done some different surveys um, to listen and to hear from them as to what they would want to see in a mural because it's going to be in their neighborhood it's on our building but our building's in their neighborhood and so um, we want to hear from their perspective what they want in a mural. And so we've gotten a, a bunch of feedback. It's all been overwhelmingly positive. Um, and we are we have a few different revisions of the design that are in the works. That'll go to a committee with the uh, city. Mm-hmm. And then it'll um, get painted. And the community will be involved in that. So students will have the opportunity to um, participate in the actual mm-hmm. painting of the mural. So Sweet. What a great way to really honor and make a bold statement. So I know Black Lives Matter is going to be part of this mural, that statement. So I would love for you to talk to us and our listeners about that statement right there because we are in a time where some people are having a problem with that statement. And I think a lot of it is that they just don't really understand. Yeah, um, I I think you're right. One of the questions I've gotten from a lot of people and really well-intentioned people, um, like I'm not on Facebook or Instagram, and so these have not been questions from people who are like antagonistically commenting on something. I haven't seen any of those. Um, I'm sure that stuff is out there, but I haven't interacted with it. Um, So I... I've still had a number of people email me, text me, and um, ask, you know, 
how is it that you can say Black Lives Matter or how can you support that statement without um, like attaching yourself to the Black Lives Matter organization, um, you know, because you may not agree with everything that they stand for. And there are very few organizations that I um, would check every box for, <laughs> you know, that I align myself with. They're very, you know, I, when I, as a pastor, I partnered with churches and organizations all the time that I did not agree 100% with. Um, there were countless churches. Why do we have so many different churches? Because right. a lot of different churches believe a lot of different things. They still love each other. They just have some different preferences, some different beliefs. And um, and there are plenty of organizations that are doing good work, but um, you know there are also other things that maybe they're doing, or they're saying, or they're believing that I don't agree with, um, that I would still partner with on some level. So that's almost a different conversation, though, like when it comes to partnering with Black Lives Matter. In some sense, I do. When I say Black Lives Matter, I feel like I am, to some degree, partnering with the Black Lives Matter organization in their mission to further um, the agenda, so to speak, Mm -hmm. of justice on behalf of black individuals, black people who have been grossly mistreated and oppressed, um, both individually and structurally. So, and in that sense, I'm fine saying, yeah, absolutely. If that, if we have a shared outcome Mm -hmm. and we can partner together to elevate this Mm -hmm. issue, I'm happy to do that. Um, and I think you can do that without saying I fully align with this organization. Sure. But beyond that, when it comes to saying Black Lives Matter, that's one of the things I'm actually pretty passionate about saying. And in part, it's because the biggest pushback to Black Lives Matter has never been historically the organization. This is a very new argument. Mm. Um, you know, the, the movement the hashtag started far before an organization ever formed. So saying Black Lives Matter became um, very much, it was a hashtag, it was a statement, it became a movement, it became a way of elevating um, the lives of certain individuals that were being overlooked, marginalized, Mm -hmm. and oppressed. And the pushback against that was All Lives Matter. And so it wasn't... um, it, no one, you know, four years ago was saying uh, Black Lives Matter. Well, what about the organization? I mean, everyone was saying, no, all lives matter. And the reason that Black Lives Matter even grew was because it became a response to all lives matter. And they kind of, it, it, it snowballed in some sense. And so when, as I say Black Lives Matter, I think one of the things that I'm doing is I am responding to um, the All Lives Matter movement, and I'm saying specifically Black Lives Matter. It's a really simple statement. There's nothing. Um, there's nothing grand about it. I mean, it's it's not even like saying Black Lives are more important. It's not like. I mean, there is. It's Black Lives Matter. I mean, is there anything simpler, plainer that someone can affirm? And I think part of the reason that I want to continue saying it is because I just, I want to look at anyone and say, if you can't affirm that statement, then what can you possibly affirm? Right. Um, And the the other piece, and this is um, a little bit more nuanced, but most of the people who have reached out to me, actually all of them who have reached out to me have been white people, which might be anecdotal because I'm white and, you know, a large part of my network um, tends to be white people, but 
I, I think most of the people who would say, hey, how can we support Black Lives Matter um, given the organization and is there anything else that we can say that still captures the sentiment but maybe doesn't specifically say Black Lives Matter just so people don't think I'm aligning with the organization. Most people who are making that argument are white and I think it's, whether they know it or not, um, a way for them to center the conversation around themselves mm. as a, as opposed to allowing this conversation to be centered around someone else and to say, you know what, I'm going to allow you to lead the conversation. I'm just going to be an ally. I'm going to support um, your movement the way that you're doing it, and I'm not going to um, necessarily have to dominate it So or make it um, – yeah, I, I don't have to – I don't have to take this and make it my own um, and make this like my mission to move forward. I'm just going to be a part of what you're doing. So, Wow. I really appreciate you sharing that. Very helpful. Yeah. So we'd love our listeners to know how they can support you either financially or time or otherwise and also how they can communicate with you directly if they want to reach out to you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, one, you can pray for us. Um that is, it, I can't, that's not like this, you know, little tagline on the side of, hey, you know, and make sure you pray for us. Like, no, we really do need your prayer. Um, the work that we're doing, I mean, we could have all of the resources in the world and um, see nothing accomplished because the Lord didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And so the first resource that we need is the Spirit of God to show up and move in power um, because Anytime any one of us uh, comes to faith in Jesus and leans into the fullness of our potential and begins that journey, that is a miracle. Um, That is an act of God's divine power, and no human resource can bring that about. So um, we pray towards that end. We ask that you would join us in that. Um, You can support us financially. Right now, as we expand our programs, that's a a huge way that people can support us. We're going to have to bring on probably two more part-time positions um, just to, you know, accommodate for these extended hours. Um, we used to accomplish our programs with this like army of volunteers, but when you switch from doing out of school time activities to daytime activities, your volunteer base is going to diminish significantly because people are at work. So we really, really need um, support in that way. Hmm. And if people are, are more interested in what we're doing, they can go to eliasgvl.org. And we've got a newsletter sign up that they can click on there and uh, just stay up to date on the ministry and kind of hear more about what's going on. Yeah, that's awesome. I think Elizabeth wants to ask you a few questions oh, here yes. before we. Uh, we got a rapid fire questions. So these are the fun okay. questions that we wrap yep. up with, Cam. And um, it's one of my favorite parts because it makes that little connecting point. Although I'm pretty sure we've already covered so many things mm-hmm. that our audience already said. I resonate with that. Yes, I love that. But anyway, uh, my 10-year-old was overhearing a podcast and overheard what someone answered. And he was like, I like that guy because I feel the same way. <laughs> so we're giving our, our fun little rapid fire questions. I love it. Okay, first fire off, away. what is a favorite meal of yours? Ooh, uh, Nashville-style hot chicken. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, good. What's an awesome place you've traveled to? Uh, the UK, specifically Edinburgh. Uh, mm. Wow, goals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what's a life-changing book that you've read you wish other people would also read? Yeah, so many. Um, you Are What You Love by James K. A. Smith. New one for me. Very good. What do you do for fun and relaxation? Uh, I like to rock climb and read. 
Very good. Mm -hmm. All right. And lastly, a little bit deeper, what is something you want to be remembered for when you are not here? Hmm. I would say faithfulness in the little things. Mm. Love it. Love That's it awesome. so much. Well, listen, uh, we thoroughly enjoyed our time. Not only did we get to talk to you, but we got to enjoy and experience your space here. And you guys have done some awesome work um, with what you've already done. And certainly wish you well. And we'll certainly be partnering with you through prayer and other means to, to support you guys into the future. So thank you very much. Thank I you. It. Thanks for having me.